When it comes to air quality, the bad news is that wildfires and air pollution have really degraded the quality of our air. But the good news is that we're all realizing that the quality of our air, and particularly the quality of our indoor air, is really darn important. I'm so excited to tell you about Puro Air because in 30 minutes, this device will remove allergens, dust, smoke, and gases from your room. It uses a stronger type of filter called a HEPA-14, and it filters pollutants at a microscopic level. I keep my Puro Air running upstairs where the bedrooms are all night. I love that it's quiet. Cleaner air just hits different, doesn't it? Check out everything Puro Air has to offer at getpuroair.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. One more time for the people in the back, getpuroair.com. Hello and welcome. My name is Stephanie Safarian, and you're listening to episode 433 of Sustainable Minimalists. This is a show about intentional and eco-friendly minimalist living, And on today's show, we are nailing down once and for all the qualities of a slow home. There are three of them. And in our world in which we can go to Target, head to Wayfair, find the cheapest couch, the cheapest bedside table, the trendiest kitchen stools, my guest today argues let's slow down the process of styling and decorating our homes because we've seen what fast fashion has done to the fashion industry. It's happening right before our eyes. Fast furniture, fast decor is changing the furniture industry, the decor industry in immeasurable ways. And so today we are all, once and for all, slowing down our homes. Here to help me nail down the three principles of slow homes is Zandra Zara. Zandra is the host of the Slow Style Home podcast. She is also the creator, the brains behind the Slow Style Framework. Zandra, I am so thrilled to have you on the show, and I just found out before we hit record that you're my neighbor. How are you? Yes, I'm well, thank you. I know, I'm so excited. You're drinking coffee. I'm going to be drinking coffee with you, and hopefully in real life at some point. Yeah, we could have done this interview in person. I always do them virtually, but if I had known, we could have uh, met up. But why don't we start by you telling us about yourself how you got into your field, and more specifically, how you found yourself interested in the creation and helping other people create slow-style homes. So I have moved around a lot as an adult. Every time I moved, though, I was nesting. I absolutely intuitively knew that my home, even if it was my one-bedroom apartment or my studio apartment, that it needed to be a refuge, but also a place that would Help me think about who I wanted to be because especially as a young adult, we are trying to figure out who we want to be and our place in the world, our values, our passions, all those kinds of things. And I wanted my home to actually be like an incubator for that. I wasn't going to find it externally so much. I was going to figure out who I was by doing some self-reflection and that kind of thing. So I wanted my home to be a place to nurture that, but then also a place to express whatever it was that I was, whatever new phase I was coming into. Then becoming older and married and owning houses and having kids, that continued, of course. And I met someone who 
was a creative thinker like I was. She was a maker. She was a beautiful maker, seamstress, painter, fix-it person, jeweler, the whole nine yards. And we decided to join forces. And then somebody said, why don't you start a podcast? Well, this was seven years ago. And podcasting wasn't a huge thing. There were almost no design podcasts. And we thought, how do we, how do we do an audio podcast when everything we do is so visual? But then we realized what we could be talking about with other people, not just amongst the two of us, is why does style matter? Why does this stuff matter? Because what I didn't want to do was just buy a bunch of stuff. I didn't want to become this style decor hoarder. There had to be some sort of substantive reason why we were drawn to this stuff. And we spent the first, I don't know, four years of the podcast asking our design guests, why does style matter? I soon was getting a lot of questions from people. How do I do this? How do I implement all these ideas and this inspiration? And so I started looking back at how did I do it over the past 30 years? How did I develop a style that's very unique to me? And so I just started to deconstruct it. And over the past couple of years, I've developed what I call the slow style framework. Well, you mentioned there that in the first few years of your podcast, you asked your guests, why does style matter? And so I'd love to turn that question on to you. Why do you think style matters? Style matters because beauty is not far below that Maslow's hierarchy of needs where you've got your, you've got in, in our basic understanding of needs, which is food and clothing and shelter. And then beauty in my mind is right up there with that. It, it it's might be right below all of that. So when you think about the hierarchy of needs and you think about what one needs to really fulfill the potential of yourself, beauty is something that inspires us, it comforts us, it makes us feel human. And that then gives us the energy and the motivation, I think, to go out into the world and do what we want to do. And I say that based on the knowledge that humans have been creating beauty and prioritizing beauty for eons. Since the dawn of humanity, when you've got the cave paintings in France, people have recognized the importance of expressing themselves through beauty. So that's why I think style matters. I think being in a home that reflects who you are and also reflects who you want to become is all part of creating beauty and also feeling like you're empowered to create beauty yourself as opposed to being told what beauty is by media, by TV, by other designers, but that you yourself have the ability to create beauty, I, I think is very empowering. Yeah, I like that you mentioned the creation portion there. I would say for me, though, in terms of creating that slow home, I am, first of all, I'm the biggest homebody you've ever met, but I'm also an extrovert. So it's like a really interesting combination. <laughs> uh, but I like to surround myself with beauty. I like my home to be that cozy, comfortable place in which I can truly fully be myself and relax with my family. In a consumerist culture, surrounding myself with beauty can often slightly morph into amassing a bunch of stuff. And I'm thinking the fast decor in particular. Most people know what fast fashion is. Now we've got a whole new category. We've got fast furniture and we've got fast decor. How would you define these terms? 
fast decor, fast furniture, it's just like anything else that's fast. It's made to be mass produced because it's all about economies of scale for the people who are selling the pieces. And in order for something to be mass produced and to be thinking about economies of scale, it's all about spending the least amount of money for how much you're going to charge. And so therefore, the materials that are going into the things that are being made are the least expensive. They're the least well-made. The people who are making these things are the least well-paid. And so therefore, they may not have the skills of uh, a craftsperson who's been trained or been a journeyman over the years. Then the way it's packaged and shipped also has to be done with the least amount of money. And so therefore, precautions for the environment are not usually taken into consideration and you want to pack as much as you possibly can inside the smallest space. And so again, the things that are made have to be able to be compressed or not wrapped quite as well because because you don't have the room for that. To talk about this idea of slowing down in order to decorate your home that it doesn't have to be done all at once. It doesn't have to be done quickly so that you can then get it over with. So they're like, oh, that room's done. My thinking about it is that decorating one's home, adorning it, designing it is such a great opportunity for self-expression and self-reflection. And so I really encourage people to take a little joy (laughs) in the adornment of their homes to whatever degree you like, whether you're a maximalist or a minimalist or somewhere in between. But to think of the process as, as joyful, to think of the process as really about tuning in with what do I love and what values do I have that I want to see reflected back at me? What are my passions that I want to tune into and have represented in my home? So that's the other sort of big part of why it's called slow style. It's about taking your time and and accepting the fact that style does evolve. We all evolve. I hope we are evolving, right? We are meant to be growing and learning and following our curiosity. And so our homes naturally should reflect that as well. Yes, just bringing beauty back into our conversation. There's nothing beautiful about not paying workers living wages. There's nothing beautiful about polluting practices in the pursuit of mass production. There's nothing beautiful about any of that, in my opinion. And let me also just say, too, there's nothing beautiful about the toxicity that many of these fast products also insert into our home. And so... I would love to go through your slow style framework if you would love to take it away. It's built on these three design principles that over time I've discovered are true for pretty much any home, no matter your budget, no matter where you live, whether you rent or buy. And they are that, first of all, style needs to be responsive to our lifestyle. So life informs style is the first principle. And it's really about paying attention to how you live and not trying to work against it. So that responds to the idea of keeping up with the Joneses, buying all the latest trends, buying all the newest it plant or the newest shaped pillow or whatever. The the decor industry has really followed the fast fashion industry, as you've been alluding to, in terms of we now have these micro seasons of buying things. You cannot go into Target without there being another pillow to buy for the newest thing. 
So it's really tuning into kind of what is your lifestyle? Do you like to entertain? Do you like to, are you a homebody? Do you have small kids? Do you have pets? All those kinds of things. What stage in your life? How busy are you? Are you working outside the home? Are you working in your home? So really paying attention to that is is critical and your life must inform that style, but it also means your life experience informs your style. So that's how we start getting to be very personalized and very unique. Who are you? Are you showing up in your home? I think what I hear you saying there, Zandra, is with regard, first of all, to practicality, but also making sure you said that our personalities, our values, our experiences are showing up in our homes. And I think that's such an important point because as a recovering crate and barrel shopaholic. And I I don't say that lightly. Like some people, their thing is shoes or some people it's handbags. For me, it was crate and barrel. I don't know why. But as I flipped through the crate and barrel magazines, catalogs that came all the time to my house every month, I think, there was none of me in those pages. And there was also no practicality with two young children And so I would love just maybe like a tip or two for those of us who do love insert favorite furniture store. How do you take what you love from those pictures and also then infuse yourself into the space? Such a good question. What I think we tend to fall into, and this is no fault of our own, is these magazines, these catalogs are created to make you want a look that represents some sort of feeling that you have about who you want to be. They're created by these really fabulous stylists. And so are the stores, right? The stores, I mean, gosh, you can get lost in a beautiful crate and barrel store. I've got one near me that's huge and beautiful. And they design it beautifully. They make, they set the table and they make the bed. I mean, you know, it's it's all done <laughs> very purposefully. What I would say is, as you're flipping through the magazine or walking through the store, Why does that appeal to me emotionally? We don't go much beyond the visual when we're thinking about our homes usually. Like, I I like it. I like that furniture shape. I like that that look. I've seen it in the magazines. I've seen it in Arc Digest. I've seen it on TikTok, whatever. I like it. I want it. And we don't think beyond that. What I would suggest you do is look through that stuff and say, why is it appealing to me emotionally? Meaning, who am I imagining lives there that I'm aspiring to be? Crate and Barrel, for example, has a very streamlined look. Maybe not so much anymore because they've maybe evolved from dark furniture to light furniture a little bit, but it was used to be kind of dark furniture, sexy, sophisticated, urban, and that may be who you're um, wanting to be right now. Like, for example, if you're in the suburbs and you used to be a city person and you're in the suburbs because now you're raising kids or whatever, there's a part of you that misses that lifestyle. So that's what that furniture is representing to you. Maybe find a way to represent those aspects of yourself that aren't from a new piece of furniture. Maybe it's a maybe it's about putting your record albums on the wall. Maybe it's about framing some old photographs. Maybe it's about having friends over for cocktails because you can't go out anymore because now you've got young kids at home. And when you have those friends over for cocktails, you'd light the candles. You don't all stand in the kitchen where there's ga- ghastly overhead lighting. You actually go into your living room 
and you use your real dishes and you have your cloth napkins and beautiful glassware that you got for your wedding that is sitting dusty in in the cabinet. And you recreate that part of yourself that maybe you're missing. It doesn't have to be by copying what a furniture designer is showing you. Is that helpful? Mm. It's super helpful. I think what I hear you saying there is the store or the catalog, something about it is speaking to my aspirational self, a part of me that I'm not perhaps giving my own attention to. And so I'm seeking the feeling from the catalog. Xander, we're going to take our break, but when we come back, we're going to get into your second principle. So we'll do that after a quick sponsor break. So many of us have chaotic closets that are crammed full of clothing items, and yet somehow we still have nothing to wear. Well, upgrading to high quality and affordable pieces from Quince when you need them is a game changer. They offer organic cotton sweaters and washable silk tops. My 100% Mongolian cashmere sweaters are my go-to. Not only are they affordable, but the quality is top-notch. They wear better than the cashmere sweaters that are double their price. Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash sustainable podcast for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash sustainable podcast to get free shipping and 365 day returns. One more time, quince.com slash sustainable podcast. Hello, Sustainable Minimalist listeners. Are you committed to living a greener and simpler life? Well, meet Home Threads, your ally in more sustainable and minimalist home decor. As the total destination for decor and furniture, Home Threads helps you define your minimalist lifestyle while respecting the planet. Discover their exclusive Haven collection. They use many sustainable materials without compromising on style. And here's the best part. Home Threads always has the best value. It was time. After nine years of living in our home, it was time to replace our outdoor furniture. And my husband and I, we went to Home Threads. We have a Home Threads patio umbrella and a new bench. And oh my goodness, we are so in love Create a home that reflects your commitment to the environment. Visit homethreads.com slash sustainable and get a code for 15% off your first order. Homethreads.com slash sustainable. Love where you live. And we're back. Today, I'm speaking with Zandra Zara. She is the host of the Slow Style Home podcast. She is also the creator of the Slow Style Framework for creating a beautiful home. And we've already hit the first principle. So now we're on to the second principle, Zandra. Take it away. The second principle is style is active. And what that means is that in order to cultivate your eye, to develop your eye for design, to tap into that creative muscle that I know you have, even if you think you don't, is that you simply have to practice. You simply have to start by noticing what it is you like and why. So let's go back to that Crate and Barrel magazine or, or any magazine that's design related. And you're looking through the pictures and, and instead of going, oh my gosh, that's gorgeous, and then flipping the page drill down a little bit, take a minute and say, what do I like about that? And that's when you start to notice, oh, I love those curtains. What is it about the curtains? Actually, the way they're framing the window, 
makes that corner feel really cozy. Why does it feel so cozy? Oh my gosh, I just realized they're hanging their curtains at the top, almost near the ceiling, even though the window starts, I don't know, eight inches below that. And oh, the curtains go down to the floor. They're practically puddling on the floor. Oh, that's what's creating that enveloping sense. Noticing the details and just asking yourself the question, why do I like it? Oh, okay. So I have this basic answer. Why is that? Why is that? So that's the first part of being active, actively involved in your creativity. But the second part is to literally practice, move things around your home, change out your paint colors if you are bold enough to do, which I highly recommend. And there's some great paints that are non-toxic and environmentally friendly and try things out. And here I recommend using what you already have way before you go out and buy anything new. Move things from one room to another. First of all, you might not even notice them because they've been sitting in one room for 10 years. And so bring it into a different room and all of a sudden, oh my gosh, I I actually am going to look at that painting now. Or I'm going to use that dresser that used to be in a nursery that now my kid has grown out of, but it would be perfect in the dining room to hold all of my linen napkins and my tablecloths. And that's too when you start to really develop a home that doesn't look like anyone else's because you're using things in ways that they may not have intentionally been created for. Moving things around to not only see how you might reuse them, but also to see what is needed. What are the holes that are missing? Oh, I'm I'm moving my furniture around and I realize this person wouldn't have any place to put down a drink when they're sitting there. What can I bring in that I already own to be that side table, even if it's temporary, so that I can get an understanding of whether or not it's working. So if you bring in a huge stack of art books next to a low chair where your friend is maybe wanting to put down a drink and you live with that for a while, you realize this is great. It's the right height, but I need a drawer because that's where I want to put my coasters or when I want to put my matches to light the candle or whatever. So now at least I know when I go to find something new, it's got to have a drawer in it. For example, style is active is really about getting your hands dirty and playing around. And I think what this does too, is it takes the anxiety way of making choices that you might regret later because you've already practiced what it is you're looking for to really know what it is you want. Yeah, you're preventing yourself from making expensive mistakes, right? Furniture could be expensive, especially when we're buying it new. And I love your emphasis on the active piece. Styling your house should be an act, right? And flexing your creative muscle is also active. Going to whatever store, (laughs) Crate and Barrel is the example I'm using today. So we'll just go with it. Going to Crate and Barrel and having the Crate and Barrel master stylist who put the showroom together and just picking what they've done, that's uh, definitely a more passive approach. And it's our home. So we're the ones who should be active in its decoration and its creation. And I just want to make a point here too. A couple months back, I went to visit somebody and they had an absolutely gorgeous home. Everything, it seemed, was restoration hardware purchased. It was a gorgeous home. I'm not knocking the home or the design by any means, but it did lack something and the lack was palpable almost. It was quite apparent and the lack was the personality of the family. So it was gorgeous, but still, Amidst 
all the beauty, there was something critical missing. And it was the heart. It was the feel of the family. The decoration needs to be active. It needs to have a part of us infused in it. I really, that speaks to me. All right. Third principle. Go for it. You just made me think of something kind of new, which is that the the (laughs) design in your home, the stuff you have should activate you. It should inspire you. It should make you feel something. So yeah, I think that active, activate, action-oriented thing at all, there's a lot of different facets to it. Okay. So the third principle is that style evolves. And this is about allowing yourself to let go of things and allowing yourself to try new things. I think that a lot of people get into a cycle where they start to feel overwhelmed by all their stuff. And so they do this big declutter and it's exhausting. And some people quit in the middle and some people get all the way through it. And then they bring all this stuff to Savers or to Goodwill or wherever. And then they go right next door to Home Goods or West Elm or whatever it is and buy all new stuff. And it's this cycle. So that's not the kind of evolution I'm talking about. I'm not talking about a shopping evolution. I'm talking about the idea of letting yourself evolve and letting your home reflect that. So when I talk to people about decluttering, the hardest part is the maybe pile, the pile where you don't know what to do with it because it's not so obvious that it's no longer useful. So you're going to give it away or there's nobody that wants it. So you have to trash it or you're going to keep it. So it's that maybe pile with, oh, it's sentimental, but I hate it. It's not my style. I don't want it. Or this is a good one. I spent so much on this. And so now I feel guilty giving it away. Let's say a couch. What I'm trying to help you do is before you ever buy that couch that you know what you're looking for and you've tried things out so that you don't make that expensive mistake in the first place. But let's say you did. There is somebody else out there that needs that couch, that will love that couch. Do not feel like you have to hold on to it because of the money you spent, because that's a false sense of saving. It's a false sense of earning money. It's spent. It's gone. You're not getting that money back. So accept it, take a big gulp and get rid of it because if you hate it, if it's not comfortable, it's if you don't love it, it's just bringing your room down. You're just, and and people try all the time to work around it. And then this is where you get caught in the, in the fast decor trap, right? So you've spent a lot of money on a couch that you don't like. So you think, okay, I'll just change out the pillows. I'll change out the rug. I'll change out the lamp to make this thing that I hate work. But in doing the rug and the lamp and the pillows, you don't want to spend a lot of money on them because you've already spent a lot of money on the couch that you don't like. And so then you buy the cheaper stuff that doesn't last, that feels dated very quickly, and that you're buying it because, okay, I've got this great big, huge, insert your least favorite color here, orange couch or whatever. Now I have to find something that works with orange. Well, I don't even like orange. So why am I buying pillows that have orange in them? Orange is the problem in the first place, but you're really forcing this idea that you have to make this thing work because you spent a lot of money on it. And I feel like the longer you do that, the longer you're going to be unhappy with it. So letting things go is the is a big principle of style evolves. And the other half of it or the obvious, the other side of the coin, of course, is why is it evolving? Well, because we're changing. We are, we are people that, that are growing and learning. And of course you're going to change. I think there's a happy middle ground between letting stuff go just because we decide we need to refresh and letting stuff go because we've evolved. 
on the former side, letting stuff go because we're sick of it, that contributes to an awful lot of environmental waste, an awful lot of wasted money. How can we, number one, determine that happy middle space, like know it's time when it's actually time and not when we're just bored, but also like, how can we refresh our spaces in intentional ways so that we don't end up with a lot of decor and furniture clutter? Yes. That's a very valid question. So there's two sides to it. It's the side where you're buying something in the first place and how to be a bit more mindful and a bit more careful with your with the first purchase you make in the first place. And then the second part of it is really thinking about what could I do with this thing that I think I no longer like? And the first thing you should do is move it around your house. See if it it, it could fit in a different place. It, it sometimes recovering furniture is worth it when the bones of the furniture is really good and solid. If it's just the fabric that you, is worn, or if the fabric is feels out of date to you, or whatever, that that it's it can be very much worth it to invest in reupholstery. It's probably not going to save you money. But it is keeping things out of a landfill and you might feel better about that. Using what you already have, thinking about using it in new ways, moving it around your house, that's, you definitely should try that before you just decide, ah, it's out it goes. On the beginning side of the cycle is the buying things in the first place. And what I say to people on that score is the worst thing you can do when you're looking for a new piece of furniture is Google bedside table. Or Amazon, you you will immediately. Be, I know everyone listening can relate to this, right? You're going to be overwhelmed. There are fifty thousand choices from all these different manufacturers, and then you start going, "Oh my gosh, now I have to get the best deal." That's immediately where our head goes because everything starts looking the same, and some things are knockoffs of things, and some things are the real deal, or whatever. And you're like, the only way our minds can filter that is on price. And the, when you start focusing on price, naturally the quality is going to go down. So then you're going to end up with something that doesn't last as long or that doesn't have the, the staying power of really classically designed pieces. And so they're going to feel trendy. Even if they don't feel trendy in the moment, they're going to feel trendy. Don't start with a Google search. Even Don't even start with a crate and barrel search, right? Because as you're saying, you're going to be very limited to whatever the crate and barrel designers have decided is the newest, best nightstand. Instead, you're going to look at what you already have. You're going to maybe bring something new in. You're going to figure out, okay, what do, what features do I want this to have? You're going to look at the rest of your room and you're going to go, okay, what material do I want to have? Do I want it to be wood? Do I want it to be with a marble top? Do I want it to be rattan? Do I want it to be a stool that I just put a tray on? Do I want it to be built into the wall? Do I want to just have a shelf because I want to minimize the stuff that I keep cluttering up next to my bed? Starting to think in that way is a very different way of narrowing down your search than by, oh, I'm going to go farmhouse or I'm going to go boho or I'm going to go art deco. And then finally, I implore people to think about thrifting or antiquing first. Use stuff that's already out there. First of all, if it's old enough, you don't have to go back that far. It's going to be more well-made. Second of all, it's going to feel one of a kind to you because you don't have 50 of them in a, in a, a storeroom waiting to be sold. Even if they were mass produced at one point, they are no longer being mass produced. And so they start to feel much more one of a kind, which then is an opportunity for you to express your aesthetic. What do I like? You think about, oh, I want to, I love the curve of the legs there, or 
I love the the drawer pull. It could be it could be anything, any reason why you're drawn to it that is so much more meaningful than shopping online or even, dare I say it, shopping at a big box store. Such great tips, Zandra. I just want to bring it around to the beginning of our conversation where we were talking about fast furniture in particular. I am at a point in my life where if I am going to buy new, a new piece of furniture, it has to meet my high criteria. I don't really buy new furniture anymore, number one, because so many people in my community are giving away perfectly great, perfectly durable, perfectly well-made furniture because they're upgrading. They're sick of their space. And so I don't buy new furniture. However, if I was, I want a new piece of furniture that is made with sustainable materials, that has ethical and well-documented business practices. Do these furniture companies, do these unicorns exist? Number one. And if so, where on earth can I find them? (laughs) Lee, they do exist. And I think the more we become as a society a little bit more conscious of our buying choices, our purchasing, companies are really, (laughs) excuse the pun, coming out of the woodwork to make it known that, yes, they have these sustainable practices because I think they're realizing that people actually want them. So that's the good news. The Sustainable Furniture Council, their website is great and they have a directory on there of where to go. So I would recommend starting there. And I'm going to just plug a company that I particularly love. I'm not getting paid for this. They're not a sponsor. It's called Roger and Chris. And they are out of Omaha, Nebraska. They are a company that is dedicated to a lot of the values that I share. So employability, fair wages, living more than living wages for people. Everything is sourced and made in the U.S. So you're cutting down on the, the negative effects of transport from other countries. And they really value craftsmanship. So they really pay attention to all of the details of how furniture is made. It's not made with glue. And then they also have a full line, if if this is also important to you, of vegan leather so that if you wanted to go that route and you also are concerned about using animals in your home, then they also offer that line as well. What I love about them, and this is what I encourage people to look at for any, how to evaluate any furniture source. Do they put their story on their website? Roger and Chris have at least one, if not more videos of their process, really understanding the story, the values and passions of the owners, seeing the manufacturing process, seeing what goes into a well-made piece of furniture, the hours, the skill, the, the money, I think helps us understand why it's valuable. Because that's another thing that I talk about a lot is what do we value in terms of uh, how do we place value on something when we're spending this money of ours? I think we are really conditioned to go cheap, to go lowest possible price because quote unquote good design is now, it's been democratized, which I love. It's much more available. That's why you've got good-looking things in Target or good-looking things in Home Goods because they're able to mass-produce the trends. 
but it's really gotten to this mindset of I'm not going to, I'm not going to pay more than a thousand dollars for a rug. I'm not going to pay more than a thousand dollars for a couch, but you do pay for it because it doesn't last. It's polluting the environment. It's not paying people fair wages, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Why not buy a couch that is going to last you for the next 20 years? They exist. They still exist. So when you're looking online and you're looking at companies, really look at their about page, look at their story, get a feel for the company. It's going to mean so much more to you that you bought that piece of furniture from that company because you feel like you're buying from humans, not a corporation. I love your tip there to look for an Our Story page. Crate and Barrel doesn't have one. Target doesn't have one. Wayfair doesn't have one. And if we're bringing something into our home, and I think about my home, it's my cozy haven. It's my place to rest, rejuvenate, again, be my true self. If we're bringing something in, let's say a couch, we're going to spend countless hours with our families on it. Don't we want that thing that we are going to be loving on for hopefully more than a decade, maybe two, don't we want it to be made with care and love? Doesn't that, shouldn't that mean something in 2024? It means something to me. Sandra, tell us about the Slow Style Home Podcast. It's a great podcast. What can we find there? Where can we find it? Give us the details. Sure. So you can find the Slow Style Home Podcast wherever you're listening, including where you're listening right now. You can find out a little bit more about the podcast at our website, which is slowstylehome.com. And then the last thing I want to say that I'm just really excited about and I'm allowed to talk about now, which is that I'm going to be uh, writing a book. So uh, it'd be published in the spring of 2025, conveniently also called Slow Style Home. (laughs) And yeah, so I'm going through the writing process and it's been very eye-opening because I really didn't know anything about the publishing industry before that. But yeah, so that's a big project that I'm working on right now. Congratulations. That's huge news. You'll have to come on again when the book is published. We'll do this again. Sandra, thank you so much. I enjoyed every second of talking to you. Thank you so much. Likewise. Thank you for fabulous questions. Listeners, that's our show today. Show notes are at mamaminimalist.com forward slash 433. And we do have an eco tip. It comes from Patty. Patty wanted to recommend to all of us Ridwell. That's R-I-D-W-E-L-L. It's also in the show notes. But Ridwell picks up hard to recycle stuff from your doorstep. It is in a bunch of U.S. cities at the moment. You can go to the Ridwell website and check and see if your location has Ridwell services, but you pay a monthly fee. The lowest version is $14 a month, and you'll fill up your Ridwell bags with plastic film and batteries, light bulbs, those plastic clamshell containers that berries come in at the supermarket. So all these hard-to-recycle things, Ridwell will come and take it off your hands, and Ridwell's partners will keep these items out of landfills. Patty, again, she wrote to me, she said she uses the service. She loves the service because her household has a lot of hard to get rid of stuff, especially she said her husband gets medication in those styrofoam coolers. She, thanks to Ridwell, can responsibly dispose of those styrofoam coolers. And she wanted me to make the point, and what a good point, that Thanks to Ridwell, her family has greatly reduced what they send to the landfill. So in my town, I have to to pay for trash pickup. How about instead of paying for trash pickup, I 
pay instead for Ridwell to responsibly dispose of this these items instead of paying for these items to be transported to the landfill. Makes sense to me. Ridwell's not in my location, but we'll see in the coming months and years. So thank you so much, Patty. What a great suggestion. Listeners, I will see you on Thursday where we're doing it. We're talking about getting rid of Amazon Prime once and for all. I didn't know I was doing that (laughs) this month, but my Amazon Prime membership is coming due on February 9th, and I'm cheap. I do not want to pay $139 for another year of Amazon Prime. So I'm setting myself up to live without Amazon Prime now. I'm going to talk to you about why you might want to consider doing the same, as well as how to do it with the least amount of stress and overwhelm. So that's Thursday's episode. Stay tuned. I'll see you then. Reach out if you need me and take care.